What's up, guys? Welcome back to the No Backboard Podcast, the official NBA podcast for the Play Call Podcast Network. That's right, we have an intro now, because all you people complained about it. Uh, I'm Jeff Weissman, with me is Joseph Nation, as per the usual. Um, we're back with part two of our uh, positives about every team in the league. We're starting with the Miami Heat today. Uh, the rule of thumb is if we both say the same thing about a team, and it's not a certain team that we both thought of beforehand but will not say to one another, um, <laughs> then they have utterly failed as a basketball team this season because that means that they haven't had multiple like avenues of improvement in a significant way. And is that true? Absolutely not. But um, we're two 20-something-year-olds who aren't exactly the most creative people in the world when thinking of podcast topics. So that's what we're doing today. To be fair, um, we do have like 10 other topics that we could have gone towards, and I think we're about to touch on one of them now, but yes, it's not like we're we completely foundering here for whatever we can get. <laughs> yes, there's one thing that happened this week. All right, so there's there's a ton of things that happened this week, right? We had the, the Dirk retirement, the Dwayne Wade retirement. That's the reason why right now I am... Look, I'm, I'm at the point, I'm 23 years old, I'm a little too old to be going around rocking the NBA jersey all the time. I got a little too much pudge on me, but I will break out the AliExpress Dirk Nowitzki old school Mavs jersey for the last day of Dirk's career. Like I was legit getting a little emotional about that last night because I spent so much time watching both of them, watching Dirk and Dwayne Wade and even Udonis Haslam a little bit. I took a little from his game when I was actually trying to be a player, but it was really Dirk and Dirk and D Wade were two of the biggest kind of inspirations. And I don't think people realize when you're playing basketball, just how how often you're picturing them in your mind or you're watching them on YouTube or you, you have clips of them because every second you're on the court, you're thinking of, oh, this would be a good time to use that Dirk shot or you're practicing it by yourself or you were just visualizing that shot and trying to repeat it. It's, I mean, and you don't have to play basketball to feel that emotional connection too, but I was, I was feeling it last night. Like that was really special to see them both put up good stat lines without just hoisting and heaving like a certain Mamba who I also love dearly. Um, but yeah, the the topic we wanted to talk on was the Magic Johnson resignation. And I just have one question for you, Joseph Nation, because we don't want to spend much time on it. Who had the worst tenure as a front office executive in the NBA? Was it Magic Johnson for the Los Angeles Lakers, or was it Brian Colangelo for the Philadelphia 76ers? Ooh. That was not the direction yeah. I was thinking you were going with this one. Um, <laughs> I did not tell him this question beforehand. I wanted to drop it on him. I saw it on Twitter way earlier. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh. So Colangelo. It's not easy. Right. Colangelo was responsible for. Let's see. Tra- trading ruining, up to draft faults. Ruining the Sixers' depth. Uh, trading up to draft faults. Um, kind of screwed up the. Uh, trading of Okafor and Noel. Yeah, yeah. Um, pretty much wasted all of the mid and late round firsts that he had. He he picked uh, uh, Ozzy uh, for example. Yeah, yeah, and and TLC and Furkan, who were like the consensus, like oh, that's a good pick at the time. But so like, I'm not a, as negative on him for that as a lot of people because like mm-hmm. we did all say to pick them, but also when you're a GM, you're supposed to like. Ignore the consensus if you think the guy's not right. going to be that well, great. Well, also, like, the reason they were consensus was because they were able to stay in Europe while they developed rather than simply, like, needing to come over immediately. Um, 
So I don't know if they would have been as consensus if they had been, say, uh, like, if you were actually looking to get them as talent on the team. Um, he did pick Bolden, which also was to his credit, right? Um, like, that was one yes, of his drafts. Um, uh, I think it was, yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah, I... Magic drafted well, too, though. Don't don't forget that. Like, he had two really good drafts. Did he? As a, Yeah, so he picked, he picked Josh Hart. He picked Lonzo Ball, who we're not sure about, but it's really been injuries kind of neutering him. Mm-hmm. He picked Kyle Kuzma. And he picked uh, Zubach. With, like, late, like, nothing picks, he got all these guys. Like, he really did do a really good job picking these guys. For some reason, I, I like, it feels like those have been far enough back in some ways that I tend to forget that they were him. Um, to the extent that I actually went, wait a second, those are him. Those are his guys. Um, <laughs> I think they like, are. I'm not wrong on that, am I? No, you're not. I mean, the, the um, I'm, I'm not sure about Zubats because uh, Zubats has been around for a little while. Um, but at the very least, Hart and Kuzma, yeah, they were both him. Um, and th- those are those yeah. are steals. Um, like you can think so, what you want about them as players, but they're yeah. really. Oh yeah, good. they were great. They were they're yeah. definitely great value for their slot. Um, Zubats was actually the year before. It was the last uh, okay. Mitch Kupchak pick. Um, but yeah, so like he got them, even like, even guys like Jonathan Williams, for example, he deserves some credit for on that. Yeah, you're right. Um, cause Jonathan Williams is actually looking like an NBA player, which some of the centers on their, ro- actually all of the centers on their roster, except for Williams don't, um, <laughs> Scala. So what happened to him? What happened to him after Atlanta? Cause he was okay in Atlanta. Honestly, I think it's been one of those things where he's playing, He's not playing next to a guy who can really take away, uh, like take away the inside. Cause like Paul Millsap is undersized and can take away the inside from the other team, but, but can take away the inside from the other team. Muscala on LA, however, and at some level in Philly, he's not really been, uh, he didn't really get a chance to do that. But in Philly, like Philly was just a weird fit to start with. Um, so like he, he had like one or two good games where you could see the potential exactly, of yeah. the fit there. Um, but then he would never we would try that strategy again and he would just suck at it. Right. Yeah. Um so yeah, like I I I don't know exactly what it's been. He's I mean, he's actually shooting better now from 3 than he has in um like than he did in Philly. Um like his numbers with the Lakers are The other thing is like I think he's probably actually been better for the Lakers than he's been given credit for at some level. Um, they were just expecting him to be much more than he's ever going to be as Mike Muscala. Um, there's also a pretty big element of he's not playing the five. I think that would have helped him a lot because his best years in Atlanta were all playing the five. Yeah, he's not a terrible rim protector. Um, he's not good by any means, but he he's much more comfortable at the rim than he is out on the perimeter. Right. Um, but also, like, it, it's weird because he's a, he's a guy who you want playing at at, like at the rim, but also don't want him to be the only interior presence, if that makes sense. So like, he's not a great rebounder. He's an okay rebounder. He's not um, like, you'd rather him on offense be outside of the paint because, well, one, because he's a 37% three-point shooter, but also because like, he's a, like, I mean, he's just not going to go and you know, he's not the kind of guy to go in and dunk on people, basically. He's more of a shooter and not Hey, even... hey, hey, pour one out for I'm thinking of two guys who decided for precisely one game to go out and just try to dunk on everyone in sight. Uh Spencer Hawes 
uh-huh. who did it in Philadelphia. Uh-huh. I was at that game. Yeah, it was that's... absolutely glorious. Uh, Hulls... It was a single game. Yeah. Well, it, it wasn't the thing about Halls. It wasn't just a single game. He would do it about once every twenty games. No, 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 no. And... Yeah, yeah, no. Like I agree with you. He would break it out once in a while. But there was uh-huh. one game where it was like six or seven times. He would he went for it. He uh-huh. got it like two or three times. But then the other one also in Philly. I think I was there. Um, Andrea Bargnani, uh, <laughs> the uh, the air bargs yeah, dunk, yeah. The, uh, which like, looked extremely painful. Like he got hurt on that play. Oh yeah, but definitely. It I, was still hilarious. Uh-huh. Um, but, but those guys are like those are the kind of guys where the mold for Muscala comes from. Where I mean, Muscala is a little more engaged inside than that. But basically, if you're playing him next to a bunch of other guys who are approximately Brandon Ingram shaped although he hasn't really played much alongside Ingram because of the blood clot issue. But, you know, you're going to end up with relatively poor results, and I think that's kind of what you saw in L.A. Um, Atlanta usually played him next to guys like Millsap or Howard. or cause, I mean, he was... There was a point at which... It, it, the best season of his career, practically speaking, came when he was the guy splitting the difference in uh, in Howard and, uh, and Millsap, where basically you could see that Millsap and Howard really couldn't play together, but if you stuck either of them with Muscala, it went really well. Um, that was like the season that made everyone go, oh yeah, this guy's actually really good. Um, and it hasn't really been replicated since because he's playing next to, you know... <laughs> Jonah Bolden at times in Philly, I believe that that happened a lot in LA. It's next to, I mean, I don't know how much he was used next to LeBron, but it probably wasn't all that much. And LeBron's not no, exactly. They, they, they picked up Muscala solely to make a playoff push because they thought he'd be amazing next to LeBron. Yeah. But by the time he got so settled like you, into the rotation, it was too late. You look at the guys he mostly played next to in Philly. You've got Ben Simmons, who's not really. We're in... off topic by the way. So hurry up. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. We're gonna get you, you've got basically Ben Simmons, Landry Shamit and JJ Redick who are not guys who play inside and practically speaking, I mean, he played some time with Embiid, but it was less than a third of his total season. So like that, that's generally kind of what you see is that he just didn't get much time next to shooters. His most common Laker played next to is Contavious Caldwell Pope, um, which is a ridiculous because Contavious Caldwell Pope should never be playing that much minute, that many minutes anywhere. Um, and B also shows exactly like where the issue with him is coming. Isn't that he's not well, getting that bruiser to play uh, next to be fair. KCP is on a one-year contract. That's, I guess. KCP, nobody cares if he goes out there and gets hurt in March or April. Also fair. Um, That's why. They yeah. they care if Josh Hart goes out there and gets hurt. They care if Kyle uh-huh. Kuzma goes out there and gets hurt being physical. They, I mean, it's cruel to say, but they don't care if KCP goes down and blows out a knee. Because they can so, just write him a- off. Answering the question, I think I'm going to go with, uh, with, with uh, who was I going with? With Colangelo, right? Um, just because he didn't have that uh, that late track record, and also because he had more like what he did is Colangelo took big assets and turned them into still good but worse assets usually, and Magic took no assets. No, no, no. He did that, and then he ruined his three biggest assets by trading up for Fultz and having Fultz be horrific. Which I don't know if I can blame him for, but it was still. Look, I right. well, you guys th- will remember the thing, like, there's, there's podcast history. I wanted to not trade and just pick Malik Monk. And mm-hmm. I Which still maintain <laughs> that Monk would have been really good next to Ben Simmons in Philadelphia because he could have played the one like mm-hmm. half the time. Yeah. Unlike Charlotte, where he should be playing the one and a third of the time and he doesn't play it at all. Right. Um, um so yeah, like it's 
it's one of those things where basically because Colangelo, I'd say they got probably similar results in terms of the talent added. The problem is Colangelo had an easier path to add that talent. He had way more cap space. He, well, no, that's not necessarily true either. Cause he didn't really like, cause I mean, obviously magic had a second max slot this summer and then didn't really manage to use it. So I don't know, honestly, like there's a pretty big element that, um, I don't think we've heard the last of the magic thing and it's going to get really ugly. Um, just because I mean, I hate you that saw, because it seems like he's such a nice dude. Yeah, well, I think it's not going to be ugly for Magic necessarily. I think it's going to be really ugly for the Lakers. Um, I've heard the whispers of the lawsuit against Palinka if they choose to fire him. Exactly. Yeah, that's the one. That's the thing that I'm kind of expecting the other shoe to drop on is that Palinka won. Palinka definitely needs to go. Regardless, I mean, Magic was never supposed to be anything more than kind of a figurehead who makes people feel good, which is kind of what Magic Johnson does in his life. Um, Palenka is the one who really screws up. Like Palenka is the one who I would really blame for the personnel over magic, even in the first place, just because Palenka was supposed to be the guy with the actual knowledge who was actually going and making the decisions and the decisions, you know, should reflect more on him. And yeah, technically magic's his boss, but practically speaking, like, you know, who makes the decisions between the two of them. And it probably wasn't like, it wasn't ever supposed to be magic. Um, and so that it like to, to blame magic, even for the personnel stuff is kind of iffy. Um, but yeah, so that, that's, that's another thing that points towards Colangelo here. And yeah, I'd say Colangelo was probably the winner there, you know, the right. anonymous winner. Um, yeah, I think, I think I'm probably with you, but it's, it's really like a results thing because Colangelo and magic did the same exact amount of things to alienate their entire roster mm-hmm. but magic succeeded in alienating the roster and Colangelo the Sixers the rest of the front office handled it well enough that it did not alienate the rest of the young core that's right so the, the biggest question is whether or not Colangelo mismanaged it enough to cost you a chance at LeBron this past summer I'm look I'm I respect the hell out of LeBron I was unsure about wanting him at the time mm-hmm. I'm glad we did not end up with him just because I think if we ended up with LeBron, it removed any chance of Ben Simmons being a like transcendent level superstar. That's I'm not right. saying that he will be that, but I'm saying there's still a chance that he could be that. And I think if we had LeBron for four years, $160 million, there would have been no chance at that happening. That's that's my case there. Anyway, Miami Heat. Right. Um, so for them, I put point justice. Um, basically... There, there were two things the Miami Heat knew. Dragic was Dragic is aging really quickly, so they need a point guard without much of a way to add him because they don't own many of their future picks, and this draft is absolute garbage for point guards. And um, generally speaking, you know, Dragic is going to not be there forever, so they need to add a point guard. And two, um, they need to figure out they they needed to figure out what they were going to do with Justice Winslow because Winslow as a small forward was kind of just floundering around and wasn't really a good shooter and wasn't really a good, uh, like he, he was a good defender, but not good enough to justify his existence on the court as a non-shooter as a point guard. Winslow has taken a much more controlled set of, uh, three pointers and it's made him into this legitimate threat where, I mean, practically speaking before coming into this season, you could legitimately argue he was a worse player than Frank Kaminsky. The guy, you know, who was obviously is obviously always going to be tied to him because of the Boston offer and all. Um, and after this, I think it's quite clear that one, they're both much better players than they were given credit for before this season. But two, 
um, that Justice has a place in the league, probably is going to be kept on the Heat to the point where they actually waived Rodney Magruder. I think because they because uh, Justice showed that he can play the point guard, and as a, like, and, and I think the result of that is that it's beneficial for both the Heat and for Justice that he got moved to the point guard and it worked out as well as it did. Yeah, I mean he's the ultimate form of Jakar Sampson. Yeah, which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, you never. I'm gar- Look, no one who's not a Sixers fan watched Point Jakar. Uh, Point Jakar was a low point of the process. <laughs> yes, uh, yes it was. <laughs> but it was also a high point of the process because it showed Brett Brown's skill as a development coach. So Jakar Sampson by no means was a competent NBA point guard. But the fact that he, he was not absolutely atrocious when he had to manage the point guard spot for two games in that horrific season, um, when he came onto the team as a guy who couldn't even dribble showed that yeah we we found someone in Brett Brown you know <laughs> like it was it was one of those anyway for the Miami Heat I said and I quote uh the weather is really really nice there um I really <laughs> that's also completely fair I don't I don't buy look I I think that Justin Wins- Justice Winslow is an okay player he's a good player um he hit a bunch of threes on the Sixers last night which is not sustainable but like he's very good defender. He's a good ball handler. He's not a franchise-altering player, and what they need is a franchise-altering player. Goran Dragic is a guy that I took a lot from when I was playing basketball. He's one of the guys that a lot of people, um, you know, when you're a white kid on the court, they they find a white, Europe, usually European guy to, to call you, and I was, when I was fat, I was David Lee, and when I was not fat, I was Goran Dragic. Uh <laughs> <laughs> there are actually a surprising number of parallels between their two games if you really focus on it. Um, fun to watch. I, I did that one night. A little drunk, but it was a good time. Anyway, um, he's not the altering player that they need. This is a franchise that we have to start thinking about Pat Riley as, look, this guy's a fantastic free agent getter. But he also then has to keep a, those guys. And I don't uh, know if he's a good GM overall. Like I don't think I think you have to call him a good GM overall because of the Heatles. But I don't like I think there's always gonna be that kind of asterisk after it. He's an interesting guy for our future discussion. Uh we might as well like tease it now because maybe three people will hear this. Um Joseph Nation and myself and possible possibly a couple other people from the play call network are going to hop on a podcast. We're going to try to create a way to rank the entire basketball careers. We're talking college playing, pro playing, coaching, being an executive, owning a team, whatever, all that stuff. We're going to try to rank them. Pat Riley will be a very interesting one, I think, on that list. But, yeah, I don't I don't think the Winslow thing is a significant enough win. I think Miami's biggest advantage is that they don't have any income tax and they – have really nice weather, really, really nice girls on the beach, and a lot of cocaine. I was about to say, a lot of cocaine. <laughs> it's, it's astonishing that they haven't hired Quinn Snyder yet. <laughs> I love the Quinn Snyder's a cokehead meme. It's, it's, it's great. Peak NBA online. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks are next. I'm up. Uh, I said all hail Lord Bud. Now, the obvious take here is that Giannis turned into an MVP candidate. Um... But we've seen a lot of MVP candidates on shitty teams that can't win anything, uh, a la Anthony Davis, uh, Carmelo Anthony in New York. Um, 
even kind of Kevin Durant and OKC, who felt like a threat for one year, and that was about it. Um, that's that's kind of it. Like they found a coach that can turn this MVP into a contending team, and that's that's absolutely huge. They found their Rick Carlisle. Who knows if this is sustainable? Their roster is secretly kind of a clusterfuck if you really look at it. I'm not positive that this is a well-built team that's going to carry into future seasons, but right now, Coach Bud has done an absolutely fantastic job with this team. I think he is the single biggest positive for the Bucks this year. What do you have? Yeah, I, well, I have Coach Bud as well, but I'm going to go directly, like more directly to the uh, to the side that Coach Bud is not Jason Kidd. So have yet. the Bucks failed? The Bucks have failed. The Bucks have failed as a franchise. Move them to Seattle. That's the official vote. No, the I Milwaukee mean, Bucks will move to Seattle. It's one of those things where, despite having the same thing, I think it's in a different direction because yours is that Coach Bud is a good coach. Mine is simply that he's not Jason Kidd, and his co- and the coach not being Jason Kidd was enough. Basically, they had built enough talent up in place that even just getting to a coach that was an average level would be enough, and getting to one that's outright good has put them into an elite stratosphere that very few teams reach because they they hit 60 wins, right? Yeah, so that's... I mean, there's been plenty of 60-win teams in history, but I'd guess... I mean, there's definitely not one every season, and most of the ones that do hit it are teams like the Warriors, like your, you know, like many years of the Celtics, um, and so on. Like, 50 wins, yeah, that's a great team, but not one that anyone's going to remember. 60 wins is one that is elite in the context of the league. Um, And so, like, like... Yes, there's an element of, oh yeah, it's Coach Bud as well. Coach Bud is very good. But just like the difference that even a non-Jason Kidd coach would make, um, discovering that they no longer have to put up with that and that they could have that even if Bud you know gets sick of it and decides to go elsewhere, that's... Um, I don't know why he would, but still, you know, that, that in itself is valuable. The other thing I considered putting is Brooke Lopez because Brooke Lopez has been really cool, but just because he's, he's, he's basically turned himself around from, you know, this plotting post up big in, uh, in Brooklyn to the, oh yeah, I'm going to shoot the most threes of almost any center in the league, not any center, but almost any, I actually, he might've shot the most. I haven't looked at the numbers exactly, but also I'm going to play really smart defense. Despite my footwork, I'm going to, you know, rebound or I'm going to affect the team's rebounds in a way that really is. No, his footwork, just to correct you, his footwork is fine. It's just so slow that it's completely irrelevant. Right. Yeah. That's what I mean by footwork is that even though the feet are in the right place, it doesn't matter. They're they're in the right, they're in the right place two seconds later than they need to be. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, like basically at some level he's revived his career going from, because I mean, you, you, you know, mathematically Brooke Lopez is the all time leading scorer in Brooklyn. That's history. Basically he went from being a centerpiece star of a really bad team in a style that really wasn't suited to the NBA to being almost exactly what you want out of a modern center at some level. He shoots, he can force mismatches and he plays defense well enough to not be a total sieve. Um, no, you know what? That's that's just wrong because he's unplayable for about 26 teams in the NBA right now. He is only playable because of Giannis. See, he's only playable because they have an elite rim protector and an elite mobility guy. But the thing is, like, who can play next to him? His rim protection numbers are actually pretty good in, in isolation because Giannis is lurking. At some look, level, look, when yes, you're because attacking the rim. You're you're thinking about the guy who's in front of you. Yes, that's Brooke Lopez. Oh, uh-huh. 
But the guy who's already pinned your shit to the backboard right. is also in your head very much. But the thing is, like, a lot of room protection numbers also come from just staying in front, staying down and staying in front of a guy, basically not jumping into them and, and all that. And Brooke Lopez has been very good at that. And yes, Giannis enables it at some level, but there is a level at which he's actually been a capable defender. The other big thing is that his defense is somewhat being helped by Coach Bud being willing to kind of seed the corner three to the worst shooter um, in that San Antonio style that you talked about a couple weeks ago. And yeah, I mean, there's... You know, there's elements of that, yeah, but at the same time, like, in the right scheme, he has shown that he can be a positive defender, um, and that in itself yeah, is valuable to in four schemes. Him. Especially... In a scheme next to Joel Embiid, in a scheme next to Jeremy Grant, in a scheme next to Giannis, and in a scheme next to Kevin Durant. Right. That's or, it. You, That's where he's playable. Or, or next to Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, or next to no. Kawhi, or next to... Yeah, there's plenty of those guys that I think... Or, I mean, even sticking Serge Ibaka next to him. Like, you can go down, like, the list of every team, and I think every team has a rim protector good enough to threaten the other uh, the other team into taking value from a guy that just stays in front. Um, because the thing is, like, we've seen with good we rim protectors... We just got to agree to disagree, but we got to we gotta move on to the Timber Pups. That's fair. Um... So the biggest thing for the Timberwolves for me was that effectively they started this season with the single most dangerous decision in the league and managed to avoid turn. Well, the single most dangerous personnel decision and managed to avoid it relatively unscathed. Basically they had to do something with Butler and they got a reasonably fair value for Butler out of it. Although, I mean, obviously Covington's injury makes it a little trickier, but at the same time, like for as bad as that could have gone, it went well. Um, yeah, I think it showed how good a basketball mind Tibbs is because he's a stubborn asshole, right, as a coach and a GM. And he handled that in so many poor ways. Yeah. But well, I mean, there's a reason he, he did recognize a trade that he could not turn down when it came to him. You know, like that's that's honestly enough. Like it, it, Minnesota fans should not feel good about the Tibbs era by any means. But as a no. national um, basketball fan, I feel like I can I don't have to write off those Chicago teams because of what Tibbs did in Minnesota. They also you know what I mean? they they also don't have to feel bad about the fact that it extended itself apparently because for some reason they've decided to continue employing both Saunders and Layden. Um it could be bad, but it probably like I know it it probably will be bad even just because those two are historically not good. Um Layden especially, because we have way more history on him. But at the same time, it you know, like there were pieces of what Layden did that were better than what happened in the past. Um, if you See, want to get credit have, for that trip. I have something directly contrary to that. I have Ryan Saunders shows promise, which is nice because Glenn Taylor isn't going to do shit either way. <laughs> and I wrote yeah. this before they extended Scott Layden. Uh-huh. So let it be known that I was clairvoyant in this. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. Ryan Saunders is... Look, he's clearly pretty good at keeping that locker room together and engaged in a season that got written off a long time ago. Mm. Um, His X's and O's are wildly inconsistent. I was about to say, he feels are all overmatched on schemes at times. Yeah, because he's, he's what, like 34 years old? He's been insistent for a couple years. That... He, you can learn that stuff, and I mean, we've seen coaches like Earl Watson basically be brought in because they can keep the locker room together, and then the X's and O's are just college level bad, and I think we're kind of seeing that. Yeah, but some guys learn it. I mean, Eric Spolstra learned how to apply all the stuff he saw as a video coordinator onto the court. Right, but that's the thing. Like Eric Spolstra was already a good X's and O's guy. He wasn't a great one, but he was a much better one than Watson or Saunders has ever been, and he learned the locker room stuff later. 
I think it's easier to learn the locker room stuff almost than it is to learn the X's and O's part because that's one of those things where, honestly, like, unless you've already got it, the NBA, like an NBA head coaching position is almost the worst place to learn it Um, just because you have so many other things to worry about. Not necessarily if it's in Minnesota and if your dad is named Flip and is worshipped in town. He has a longer leash than a lot of learning head coaches will have. And I don't mean that as a negative thing to, to Ryan. I mean, Flip was awesome. He was a really good coach. He was a really good leader. Um, and it's clearly paid off in some respects with his kid because the kid, I call him a kid, he's older than me, but, you know, Ryan Saunders, he's kept a, a locker room that was tearing apart at the seams together, which is impressive. He's done some cool stuff with Carl Anthony Towns on offense and on defense. He still has no idea how to use Wiggins. I'm not sure if we can blame him for that because I don't know if anyone has any idea how to use Wiggins. Um, he kind of ruined Derrick Rose a little bit. Uh, no idea how to use Tyus Jones. Obviously, Dario being completely burnt out with his legs gone and Rocco being out hurts. Mm-hmm. I think we need another season to judge him. I think the right move was was keeping him around. I think you need you need to see him with an off season. You need to see him with a season to develop his own preferences instead of just having to to morph Tibbs's plays into something that he can work with. Yeah, that's um, that, that's my like, feeling. My, my biggest thing is that it didn't feel like in the first place that he made sense as a candidate. Like it would make more sense to give him another year rather than just being there as the interim if he already had a resume that indicated he should be a head coach. And I'm not so sure that he actually did. Um, like the only, the, the the biggest line on his resume is my dad is Flip Saunders. Um, and the second, yes, but the second biggest line is my owner is Glenn Taylor. Okay. Yes. But you have to get down to the third biggest line, which is, Oh yeah, I was an NBA assistant for two years to get anything. And that's not really a good thing in terms of his sustainability going forward. Like basically what we're arguing here is that the nepotism job is fine. And, um, you know, there's, there's nothing really to worry about. And I think there is an element of, yeah, he got the job because of the nepotism, but I also don't think that's a good thing. Like it, it gives him better staying power, but it doesn't really give you a reason why it's a good decision to keep him around beyond his interim year, because he really shouldn't have been even the interim in the first place. Um, and so like, I don't know. It's just not one of those things where I think it's a good idea to keep him around at some level. Um, I don't know. I think nepotism in basketball is largely actually a pretty okay thing. We vehemently disagree on that. We've had this discussion before, mm. so we can just move on yeah. to the next team here. Um, so I think it's my turn to go first. Okay. Um, yeah, you're right. I said with an explanation at point at the end, unibrows are weird again. <laughs> The brow is gone, and that might not seem like a good thing on the surface because you're losing an MVP quality player, but the uncertainty is no more. You have a couple of fan favorites in town. You can choose to keep them. You can choose to train them. You're going to have a new GM in office. Sadly, it won't be Sam Hankey because everyone in New Orleans hates and despises Sam Hankey, but they will have a good GM in town, hopefully, if they hire the right person. They have a future again. Because there was really no avenue to winning without all right. So I personally think that a core of Rondo, Anthony Davis, a bunch of shooters, a bunch of talent, um, kinda similar to what they had last year, with some injury luck, 
could have posed a problem for some contenders. You know, if things played out a certain way, they could have snuck into a, a conference finals or a finals. They never had the ceiling of actually being a real true, like, win-it-all contender. Um, and that was honestly their peak. Like, they had, had no avenue to improving more because they were never going to have draft picks that were good enough to consistently and reliably find a star. They weren't going to be able to bring a big enough free agent to New Orleans because Anthony Davis is not going out and, and, and talking people into coming to town. And if they wanted to, to move all their assets in a trade, they couldn't really do that because they couldn't get a long-term commitment from Anthony Davis. So I think the best thing for this team is that Anthony Davis is gone. Like you can, you can, you can be happy. You can be sad about that because he was loved in that city for a while, but you can cleanly welcome in a new era. Now you don't have to haggle about it anymore. This is like the, the Andre Godala phase in Philadelphia, right? Like he was an elite player in a way that a lot of people didn't recognize, but it was time to peel the Band-Aid off. You know, like we, we tr- the Sixers tried building teams around Andre Iguodala when he gave a shit about playing off, like scoring. Uh, they tried building a team around him when, well, they, they tried giving him Elton Brand to score for him because he said he didn't want to score anymore. And then Elton Brand, you know, didn't turn out as great as he could have been. And everything went to shit. And then they tried finding more scores and Lou Williams led the team in scoring off the bench and they built the best team they could off of that. And that blew up and they peeled the bandaid off. And now look at the Sixers. They have Joel Embiid, they have Ben Simmons. They had Robert Covington and Dario Sarge. They had a ton of assets moving forward until a Mr. Um, totally normal collars came in. And this is like that. They have, they have a future again. It's not going to be pretty these next couple of years. I think they're going to have to move Drew Holiday. I don't think they really want to move Drew Holiday. Um, I really like Julius Randle, but I'm worried that they're going to sign him to a big extension. I don't think that that's a smart move for a franchise in the spot that they're in. Past that, it's, you know, you're going to have two or three bad years. It happens to a lot of franchises. I just sat through it as a Philly fan. You have a lot to look forward to, Pelicans fans. Like, don't worry. Don't fret about it too much. I think you're okay. And so that's my take. The unibrows are weird again. The brow is gone. Long live the Pelicans. Yeah, uh, mine is that they appear poised to uh, to upgrade a GM. So they're basically going to... I mean, yeah, they're losing Davis. That that sucks. They have very few other positives on their roster. That also sucks. Um, Drew is the only player who's really stepped up his game this year. And even with him, it's like, okay, well, he's good, but at, we're not going to be any good with him. Um, and so from there, like the biggest win from the season going forward, cause even none of the, none of the young players have really stood out. Check Diallo and, uh, Frank Jackson are guys who you would have expected to make the next step this year. And neither of them really did like, this is Frank Jackson's rookie year, but he's been a pretty significant minus. Um, and so I think instead just that Dell Demps has been fired and that the candidates they're interviewing all look significantly better than say the Suns, um, who just hired theirs today. Fun fact. Jeff Bauer, who was terrible in Detroit. Um, so yeah, like it's being rid of Dell Demps in itself gives them a chance to move forward almost as much as Anthony Davis no longer being on the roster will be. Um, and I think that's a pretty good place to be. Yep. Uh, right, New York team. Knicks. New York Knicks, you're up first. Uh, Mitchell Robinson has been a top five rookie this year. Oh no. And oh no, the Knicks have failed as a franchise. 
Oh no! Ah, I mean to be fair, yeah, they kind of have failed as a franchise. This they have. Year. Like, okay, you know what? We can end here. it there. Like, I have no objections can... to the Knicks appearing on this list. <laughs> okay, we're good. We can stop. I love. I wrote Mitchell Robinson is really growing on me. He's a top tier rookie this year. Yeah. So almost for we're me. good. That's it. That's that's all. Yeah. Like Frankie. Yeah. Frankie Smokes has sucked. Okay. Um, yeah, like, yeah, let's move on. I mean, on. you can make a case for like, <laughs> oh yeah, Kyrie and KD are probably actually coming. That seems to be a general assumption in NBA news. I won't say that until they come. Right, that's, exactly. That's like, just... those are rumblings and those never turn out accurate. So yeah, uh, onto the thunder. <laughs> I said MVPG is dead, long live MVPG. For three quarters of the season, they saw the guy that they just signed to a four-year extension turn into a legitimate MVP candidate. And then... He hurt his shoulder, and now it's it's gone. But I, that was my biggest thing for me is, one, that they managed to keep Paul George, and two, he finally put more than half a season together. Now, given it was not a full season. I was going to say it was 75% of a season, but, yes, you know, 75% is more than he usually gives. See, that was that – was, Paul George – was always Pat Burrell to me. I don't know if you're much of a, a, a big baseball guy, but Pat Burrell would go and hit 25 home runs for the Phillies in half a season and would finish the year with 30 every single year. Sometimes it was the first half of the season. Sometimes it was the second half of the season. But it was every single freaking year that he would do this. And everyone would come out if it was in the first half and be like, oh my God, this is the year that Pat Burrell put it together. Holy shit, the Phillies are going to have back-to-back Ryan Howard and... Pat Burrell, no, no, it it, it it would never turn out that way. Uh-huh. Pat Burrell was a loaf in left field um, for whatever half of the season he didn't turn it on. And that seemed like Paul George. Like, it was perfectly okay, perfectly good even, when he wasn't feeling it. When he was feeling it, it was awesome and amazing to watch, and he would go toe-to-toe with LeBron in the playoffs, and it was untouchable. But he put it together, and I really think he'd still be—he'd still have it together if it wasn't for the shoulder injury that he's nursing, which he apparently re-aggravated tonight. <sighs> um, he probably should not have been playing tonight, if we're honest. I think but... it, I think it can change who they play, though, right? Uh, oh wow, they're beating the Bucks by ten. Well then, um, <laughs> even without uh, him, yeah. So they they probably should not have uh, should not have played. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, that's my take on them was that Paul George turned into an MVP candidate. Russell Westbrook gets along with him really well. You know I love Russ. Mm-hmm. So that that to me, like, I don't think the Thunder are necessarily a true championship contender outside of the fact that they match up really interestingly with the Warriors. So, like, if the right Eastern Conference team gets through, uh-huh. I think that the Thunder are capable of getting past the Warriors more than pretty much any other Western Conference team, depending on your take on the Rockets. So, like, in that sense, they're a contender, but I don't think they're one of those, like, top-tier guys. Yeah. No, I, I could buy so that. I, yeah. that That's my take there, that Paul George is is really, really good, and they have him on a long-term deal, and he's not that old. Mm-hmm. What do you have? I have the defense um, for two reasons. One, this has been a team that should have always been built around its defense. It it always has been. Well, yes, except when was the last year you think that they had a top five defense? Well, it wasn't the, the first triple-double year, I know, because they finished like top third, but they, they fell off toward the end because they kind of realized at that point that they weren't going to do shit. Um, I would say 
two years after they went to the finals. So what was that? 2014? Uh, 2013, 14, almost. They were, they were sixth that year. Um, they were, they were were fourth the year before that. Um, you're killing me. But basically the last time they were a top five defense, Rex Kalamian was one of their assistant coaches. Rex Kalamian has been with two other teams since then. And this year they finally made it up to fourth. Um, so basically these these past few teams, which are the ones that really like really needed to be built around the defense, like when you have Kevin Durant, you can get away with not. Well, they were built around the defense. They, it just they wasn't just good. Didn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I mean, it wasn't it wasn't bad either. It was like consistently in that ninth to fifteenth range. Um, but that's the thing. Like the Kevin Durant teams didn't need to be as much of a defensive focus as the purely Russell Westbrook and nothing else teams did. Um, and this team finally managed to make it back up to fourth, even with Andre Robertson missing the whole year with his patellar tendon tear. Um, which I called, by the way. Did I not tell I you, think you did, like yes. before the season started yeah. that Roberson there was no way that he was going to yeah, play? Yeah, yeah. And I went, I've oh, had no, that injury. Surely not. It, it's only like a six, seven month. No, <laughs> no, no. Like that uh-huh. injury fucking sucks. <laughs> it really, really does. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, you and have so, to like, get really lucky to come back from that quickly, but yeah, yeah go on. but yeah. So like going forward, they have a defensive core that somewhat works and yeah, Russell Westbrook has been actually kind of bad this year. Um, even with the triple double average for the third, he's straight. been, he's been much better recently, like much, much he's, better well, while they've he, been, he's bad. been better on defense, but he can't like, he can't make it like he's not making shots and kind of for him, that kind of matters because people will play off him if he's not. Um, and so like, basically if this team is going to be good and if this team is going to be the kind of team that I like to watch because well I'm not quite a masochist in terms of basketball terms but it's not that far off given that I am a Hornets <laughs> fan um uh, <laughs> I have friend look I have friends regularly call me out why the fuck do you like basketball that's so fucking ugly <laughs> Jeff <laughs> Because uh-huh. I grew up on, on Doug Collins and Maurice yeah, Cheek Sixers teams and Larry Brown um, Sixers teams. But yeah, and so like the Thunder are turning into a good version of one of those ugly teams. Um, and, and so it's like, it, it's, it's... I wrote an article about that. Of course you did. Um, and so like it's actually <laughs> really fun to watch. Um, and it's actually, you know, something they could be really good at. And it's what makes them into a bad matchup for the Warriors. Um, because they're that team that can just grind you out on defense and just be bigger than you everywhere. Um, so yeah, like it's, they've given themselves a clearer path going forward because the defense is there. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I think the article was called thunderstruck. I think it's on Reddit somewhere. Ah. I compared them to the 2001 Sixers. If any of the listeners out there want to go look at that, uh, that was a couple years ago, I think. And it, the comparison really made sense back then. It still kind of makes sense now. Cause that's still the mold they're going for. They're like, we have. Well, they have two scores now, but they had one score, and they were just like, all right, um, guys who don't have an offensive role but a really elite defense, screw it. We're, we're paying you. You guys are coming in. You're going to beat the shit out of the other team for 48 minutes, and we're going to have one or two guys just score enough points that we're going to win the game. And I think if this was a team in the 90s or the early 2000s, this would be a 60-win team year in, year out. Because that was that used to be enough. It's not enough anymore because the NBA has moved on. But like I, this is still like a really really solid job of building a team that was up against the salary wall. Had no Sam Presti is so much better than we give him credit for. And I need like I need to give him a shout out there. 
Not that my shout out means anything. <laughs> anyway, on to the Orlando Magic. Uh, you're up first for this one. Uh, I'm going with Kim Birch. Um, <laughs> Kim Birch was always one of those guys that was a clearly good NBA player when he got minutes, but he just couldn't find his way onto the court. And he's finally actually showing that, yeah, I'm like, basically he's showing that one, he's one of the better defensive uh, fives in the league. And two, that he, basically, even though Mobamba is kind of in and out of actual being able to be used, like they've got a sufficiently good center that they can play. Um, and so if they do, so we, we discovered the other day that Bombo was on the trading block around the deadline. Um, someone reported, I don't remember who, but it was someone credible enough to actually go with. And that's actually like, you know, if, if they do end up just giving up on Bamba and selling him for pennies on the dollar, which let's be realistic here. This is, this is a Steve Clifford coach team. They're probably going to do that. Um, they at least have Kim Birch to solidify that position. Yeah, and you know, in their situation, like, I don't think it's a good move by any means for a team in a vacuum to give up on a guy like Bamba, because I still think Bamba's going to be a really good NBA player, but I think it's pretty clear that he's not going to be the guy for Steve Clifford. I think it's really clear that he's not going to be the guy for Steve Clifford. So sell him while you can market potential. Don't wait until he's 23 years old and everyone's in the Jaleel Okafor boat where it's like, you know, this guy's been playing for three years now. He hasn't really shown much. It's if you're gonna give up on him, now is the time to do it. I still think that they should they should keep him around because that Bamba Isaac four five combo is really filthy. You know, I don't think that they should have resigned Aaron Gordon to that contract. Um, it's a weird team. I I I love that they push to make the playoffs. I love when teams do that when they realize that their fan bases are desperate and they're like, all right, guys, we need to get our shit together for one year here. But I really hope that they're aware enough to to move on from it after this year. I don't think they are though. Probably not. I had, I had, holy shit, the Magic found their point guard. Except they let him go to the Knicks, uh, because Mario Hazonia, <laughs> if you haven't been paying attention, is just putting up like thirty point triple doubles for the New York Knicks to, in April. To be fair, it's for the Knicks, and nobody cares against the Knicks. Yeah. No. Absolutely. But. I think three games of Mario Hazonia being an elite point guard is more than any point guard has shown for the Orlando Magic this decade. I mean, sure, but also, you could also say, this oh yeah, decade. they found... Joseph Nation, a decade. Well, what I was going to say... How absurd is that? You could also that say, team- hey, they found their point guard, except they traded him to Phoenix, and then Phoenix even let him walk over to New Orleans. And Alfred Payton put up five straight triple-doubles, I think, this this season. So, like, Peyton's been as real too. It's like, it's been a great season for former Orlando Magic point guards, other than, you know, Oladipo. Maybe the former Orlando Magic point guard is the new former Orlando Magic center. It's entirely possible. <laughs> Maybe that's the new trend. You know, the, the, the most important position now is point guard uh-huh. instead of center. Maybe it's, it's transition. Yep. yep, that makes sense. All right, anyway, we're on the same boat with them. Uh, Sixers, uh, I'm first now. Okay. Uh, mine is very obvious. It's MVP'd. Joel Embiid is putting up the best center number since Shaq, since prime Shaq. And no one gives a shit because Giannis is putting up the same numbers, but, like, better. <laughs> and that's that's okay. Like, uh-huh. I Don't get me wrong. I recognize that. I recognize that Joel Embiid does not deserve the MVP this year. He deserves to be in the conversation more than people are putting him in the conversation, in my opinion. I'm a homer. I'm going to continue to say that. But he's been just 
absolutely fantastic. He's shown improvement in every single aspect of his game. He's had two triple doubles this year passing. He went his first, like, 10 games as a rookie for the Sixers without getting an assist. Like, he has come such a long way in so many aspects of his game. He was working with a roster that was just constantly morphing around him. This guy is, without a doubt, the best player Philadelphia has seen since Iverson. And honestly, his ceiling is probably higher than Iverson's at this point. And he, the biggest part, it's, it's even bigger than that, the city loves him. <laughs> he embraces it. Mm -hmm. He is Philadelphia. It's special around here right now. I've never seen batteries. the city. I've never seen the city in a better mood. The Phillies are competent again, which is huge. Don't get me like that. That that is a significant factor. But the other part of it is that Philly has an icon again. Like Embiid is special in terms of public relations and what he does on Instagram and how he lives in Andre Drummond and Hassan Whiteside's heads, which is just the funniest plot line in the NBA. This to be year, fair, by the everyone way. seems to live in their heads, but but it's to an extreme degree uh -huh. with Joel Embiid. It's hilarious. Him waving opposing centers goodbye as they foul out is one of my favorite things to watch in the entire NBA because he's totally being like a James Harden bitch, but he's being he's doing it in a big man way where it's slow enough that the refs should see it. And he's just like, it's still working. And he's just like, <laughs> I'd give you the finger if I was allowed to. See ya, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And, and MVP'd is the best thing to happen to Philadelphia this season. Because a lot of stuff has gone has gone wonky. So that's my win. What do you have for the Sixers? So for me, it kind of stems from the Colangelo discussion earlier and how we talked about how they took this great trove of future assets in terms of Colangelo and turned it to a good trove of future assets, right? Because, um, I mean, they still had, you know, Shaman and the Miami 2021 first and all that, um, which they'd kind of built up since uh, since he left. What I'm contending the best thing for them this season is that they basically recognized, okay, we no longer have a ridiculous number of future assets to the point where we can just keep kicking it down the road and thinking about the future. Time to cash in. Huh? Yeah. Time to cash in. Right. And it, they, they decided to cash in. They, you know, they trade for Jimmy Butler. They trade for Tobias Harris. And yeah, they probably overpaid on both of those a little bit, but they made a concrete decision about the direction they no, were taking. I don't think they, they did not. I will argue they did not overpay for Jimmy Butler. I don't think that Jimmy Butler is some incredibly good piece or, or fit or whatever. But he's still Jimmy Butler. They, they yeah, traded Dario Sarge with dead legs and they traded Robert Covington. They basically traded Robert Covington and a guy that we weren't going to pay. Which I hate. Like, I love Dario. Mm -hmm. But he should not have played international ball. He came back this regular season, and I've never been more disappointed in a, a Sixers player at the start of a season because he was just not there. Like, his mm -hmm. legs were absolutely gone. And you're not going to get your legs back in an NBA season. If anything, you're going to lose them more. Mm -hmm. So the second he started hitting shots, he got hot for like a week. We traded him. I think that that had to happen. The Sixers are not going to be able to pay him the $15 million a year that he's going to end up. Well, maybe not now, but yeah, he was so going to net. I think he still gets $15 million a year because there's a lot of the contracts from... He'll he'll get like a 2 plus 1 for like $45 million or something like that. You're probably yeah, right. something like that. Um, but yeah, like p picking a direction is basically one of those things that the 76ers weren't necessarily clear as to whether or not they were going to do it because even with this new front office, the first thing they did was make a future-oriented move, right? First thing they did was uh, trade for the... Uh... Kind of. They did that, but with the purpose of it being a short-term move. 
they figured that that Miami Heat pick was more valuable as trade bait. Yeah, that's fair. Um, McCall yeah, I, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, because, I mean, going from McCall... That was why they do it. They said that that trade was done as trade bait. Uh-huh. Makes sense. And also, Brett Brown, in an awesome, awesome interview he did with Zach Lowe in a podcast, in incredible listen, if you're a Philly fan, by the way, um, said that, like, straight up said before he caught himself, um, yeah, I was a, a, a fake GM, a pretend GM for a year. Uh, <laughs> didn't go so well. But I tried my best, and uh, we came out of it with that with that pick, and we we we, we, we spent it well. Uh huh. Except not, not nearly. I, I disagree that they that, spent but... it well. Yeah, no, like I've done the accent well before, but I played way too much pickup basketball today. I had two beers to make up for it, and I'm just like a mess of being tired and like a little buzzed. Uh, yeah, the the accent is not <laughs> going to come together at this point. I need to be way more drunk for that. Uh huh. Um, anyway, so I, I agree with the, the picking a direction thing. Like, I think that, that that's a good take for the Sixers. I still think that MVP coming around is more significant though. Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, so yeah, uh, Trailblazers. Phoenix. So, uh, Suns. Oh, Suns. Oh, darn. I wanted to skip the Suns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everyone does. Exactly. Everyone does. Uh, for the Suns, I'm going with the, uh, with the rookies, um, basically both Aiton and Bridges have been, I mean, Aiton hasn't been as good as Donkic, but he's still been probably a top two, three rookie. Um, Bridges. He has not been anywhere near a top two rookie. Uh, well, well, yeah, we, we, we can go further into that, but practically speaking, I think the, sadly, the extra bit of defense that he provides over young is actually worth enough. Um, Part of the problem is that stats with the Suns can be so empty that it's hard to tell whether or not it's actually legitimate production. But also, stats with the Hawks can be so empty that it's hard to tell whether or not it's legitimate production. Um, and so, like, both of them kind of have those on offense, but also Aiton is actually playing much better defense than a lot of people projected him to. Um, to the point where, like, it's much more clear how he has a path to being that all-world guy than Young, who occasionally gets super hot, but also is just getting so much usage that you're not sure what, what exactly is, is no, you know, you know what happened? You know what happened? I said before the draft that Deandre Ayton was just Blake Griffin. And then Blake Griffin got really good. And Deandre Ayton was like, I guess I got to get better. So I like line up with this, this bums connection who hosts a podcast <laughs> over in New Jersey. Uh-huh. And that's what no, he did. I mean, even in, even in college, uh, Aiton was more skilled than like even the first 10 years, not 10 years, five years of Griffin's career. Um, like he actually has a lot of polish to his game that people don't realize. It's just that again, Suns. Um, now the Suns have plenty of other problems. It looks like Igor Kokoskov might've been a kind of bad hire. Um, but generally speaking, like I think Aiton and Bridges, I don't think they've quite been as good as you like. They, they, they've been better than you had hoped. No, that's not a good reason. They they haven't been as good as you could hope, but better than you'd expect. If that makes sense. All right, yeah. So for the Suns, I said when a player between the heights of five foot seven and six foot four neither points nor guards, what do you call him? <laughs> Isaiah Cannon? Jamal Crawford? <laughs> Jim I said uh, uh, a Phoenix Suns um ball handler. Yeah. yeah. Basically that, everyone other than Melton. Um, 
<laughs> and actually, that's one other thing. Like, they've gotten... All, all of their rookies, really, have been good at some level. Melton and Okubo both. But the thing is, they're still... Like, the second the second rounders are still second-round rookies. Um, and so, yeah, like, it went predictably poorly at that position this year. That was such a mistake. But the positive part of that is that uh, they did develop Devin Booker's playmaking a lot, which was kind of what I was getting at. He's still not a good... Well... I think he's a skilled playmaker. I just think he hates kind of doing it. Uh, you but can see it tearing his soul defense. apart because, and it's it's not it's not for like a negative reason. It, it's really like the excuse that I give Percy when we're playing pickup ball. It's like I'm doing the math in my head, like like Devin Booker is, and I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> I can hit this shot at like a forty percent rate. That guy's wide open, but he's only hitting it twenty five percent of the time. I should take this bullshit fadeaway <laughs> contested mid-ranger because it's still more ports per possession than that bumblefuck is going to do in the corner. And I think that that's what Devin Booker's doing, but because people are starting to get on him about passing, he's like, God, I have to pass it. Uh-huh. Like, it's not a good idea, but all right. And he's doing it, and he hates it, but he's 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 becoming one of those like mellow-type figures where – He'll occasionally make a pass that's like kind of special, and it starts to become tantalizing. We'll see whether he embraces that or moves away from it. I'm leaning toward he moves away from it, but you never know. Like, the NBA is morphing. It's changing. He seems like he has a killer work ethic in terms of improving. He's been hurt most of the year. He's still putting up really good numbers. Uh, we'll see. I'm I'm not – I'm definitely not all in on Booker, but I'm sold as, as far as him being like a – a, a perennial all-star level player if the Suns can get good enough for him to make an all-star game. Yeah, that's So that's that's, possible. that's the positive for me. Uh, Portland's up next. Okay. Um, I said Lillard is who he is. Okay. And that to me means that he is a really, really good version of Steph Curry. <laughs> he will hit a ton of threes. He will get really hot. He will completely orchestrate an offense. And he will win you games. He will not win you as many games as Steph Curry wins you games. But he's a damn good player. And they have him for the long haul. And he's loyal to an extreme extent. He embraces the city. Look, if we're honest, Portland has no avenue to winning a title without miraculous levels of luck and injury mm-hmm. or you know but normal levels of injury which they is not have this season they have a truly special relationship with their superstar um we're talking like dirk level like if down the line you know five eight years from now even they find a true superstar and and lillard gets his ring we're going to talk about him as if he had like a dirk level career i think like that's the level that the city kind of embraces him. And I think that's really, really special for a team to have. So that's, like, you know I'm a sucker for this, like, sentimental, like, you know, player spends his whole life with the team thing. He seems to really genuinely want to do that. So I'm all in on on Damian Lillard with them, even if he's not as incredible as he needs to be to carry them to a championship. Yeah, that, that's that's entirely fair. I'm going to keep mine fairly short just because, well, we're, all, we're about to hit the hour mark and... Practically speaking, you're going to need to speed up a little bit. Uh, I put Jake Lehman as an actual NBA rotation player at a position where they haven't had one in a while. I was close to putting him um, as well. And so, because, yeah, I mean, it's... 
Har- Harkless has always been that guy who gets close but never quite makes it, and Lehman, not only is he a good shooter, but he is exactly what Terry Stotts wants his 3-4 to do. Um, and that he, I mean, he, you know, he, he plays a little bit of defense. He can, I mean, he gives a ton of effort, and that's about what you need beyond the shooting. Um, so, yeah, uh, on to the Kings. Yeah, he also looks identical to my high school history teacher. But, uh, Kings, um, you're up first. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, I kind of want to go second to make sure we don't have the same answer, but uh, just because I don't want there's like there, there, there's zero doubt in anyone's mind here that the Kings had a relatively successful season, um, right? And so I think I'm going with uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and answer first, but I'm really hoping we avoid having the same answer here. Uh, I put that Bagley is better than NBA Twitter thought he was, um, especially going into the draft. Um, and if this causes you to impromptu change your answer, then yay. Um, if you, you know, had the same one, but yeah, like Bagley has effectively gone on this tear as a, I mean, off the bench. Yes. But once he got healthy, he's been averaging not quite a double, double, but close to it. Um, and is doing so while playing much better defense than he ever showed at Duke. And those, like, those were his biggest weaknesses. He's guarding the perimeter. Well, even though he's definitely a four, despite their attempts to convince us otherwise, um, you know, he, he's actually able to step out two guards, which is something we weren't sure he'd be able to. The finishing numbers have translated excellently. And yeah, he's just playing a good player when he was someone that we weren't entirely sure they were going to get a good play. Well, we weren't. I was pretty confident in his in, in him as a prospect. But there were parts of NBA Twitter that were like, oh no, he's not a top eight player in this draft. It's like, seriously, guys, this is ridiculous. <laughs> no, Bagley is definitely good. But my answer from the start... um was hold on i need to i need to load up the voice De'Aaron fox baby <laughs> um <laughs> he's awesome he's a great point guard he's a lot of fun he loves the city he wanted to go to the kings and that's that's awesome like that's that's exactly what they needed they needed a player that embraced the whole underdog and, thing. and very quickly before we move on from the kings can we talk about the surprising success of their strategy of draft players who actually want to the Kings, who want to go to the Kings? Because it would seem like that would be a good way to select for bad players, and it seems to be working the no, exact no, no, opposite No, 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 no. See, that's not the case. When you're a bad team, right? Look, every player that gets to the NBA, not every, I want to say half of the players that are rotation pieces in the NBA, if put on a completely horrific team, could probably put up between 17 and 20 points a game for that team. If allowed to And, shoot. like, everyone... Yes, if allowed to... If, if they were put as the first option, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing... And, and the Kings are definitely looking at that. Like, we're guys, we're not going to be, like, amazing. Like, we need to just find guys at this mm-hmm. point who just can shoot the ball. And they're, they're looking at that, and they're getting high-character guys, and they're getting... Um, players who want who have the aspiration who have the the almost level of greediness where they want to be the face of a city they want to be the savior Mm -hmm. and sometimes those guys turn into ben mclemore (laughs) yes but sometimes they turn into De'Aaron fox and harry giles and marvin bagley Mm -hmm. which is just that's awesome like by the way i was really close to putting um harry giles here because he's not like no one knows if he can stay healthy. Right, yeah. Well, no one knows if he can put the full game together. Yeah, and there's also some people but, that aren't oh, sure if the stats are anything more than just empty. I don't I don't care about the stats. I really don't. Mm-hmm. For a rookie big man, the stats are completely irrelevant yeah. to me. He's had more interesting flashes of yeah, like... Yeah, that's fair. That's entirely wow. fair. 
than pretty much any yeah. other big man. That's Basically, come out it's the, the yeah. Years. There was a definite reason why this guy was at one point the best player in a very good class. Um, he's got some Chris Webber to him, but he's skinny and he embraces that and he slithers mm. through little gaps and you can just see his ACLs like rupturing as he trips, <laughs> but it's just, uh-huh. it's so great to watch. Okay. Your turn to do this. Man. Um, let's see. So, uh, there was a typo in my answer. <laughs> okay. I said all hair, Lord pop. <laughs> oh, well, they had a bad season. Which actually probably is kind of the case, but we'll come back to it. No, they they did not have a bad season. Well, they did, but I'll explain that when we get to it. According to our rules, they did fail as a team, Mm. but oh man. Oh, Craig Popovich is... He's the the greatest basketball coach ever. He has a case. Has a case. Not saying he is. That he's the best coach of any big four professional sport. And it's incredible what he does year in, year out. This is a team that that I think will probably make it to the second round, if not the conference finals, because of the way their matchups are going to line up. See, As long as they avoid that eight seed. I'm not sure their matchups have actually lined up to anything yet, because the two through four are still pretty up in the air. That's what um, I'm saying. As long as they don't, they're not the eight seed, right? They've avoided that fate at this point. Right, yeah, I think so. Let me actually pull that then up. Then I like them against the top half of the West that isn't called the Warriors. Oh, see, I don't like that at all. Um, I, I, I think the only team that could potentially be in the top five or top four that they that I would actually take them against would be the Jazz. Not the Jazz. Um, the Trailblazers, rather. Um, and with them, I don't think, like, I don't think there's any way for them. Yeah, there's no way for them to get to fifth. They can only, they, no, they can actually be eighth, too, still. Um if they win tonight and the Clippers, uh, sorry, if they lose tonight and the Clippers win, then they end up in eighth. Um, so yeah, practically speaking, yeah, they could still hit the Warriors. They're guaranteed either. Yeah. The only opponents they can have are the Warriors, Nuggets and Rockets. And honestly, I don't think they win any of those matchups. I think they just get out talented. Oh no. Um, I think they absolutely 100%. I will bet multiple hundreds of dollars, which is significant as a college student that they beat the Denver Nuggets. And they do it in an embarrassing fashion to the Nuggets. <laughs> the Nuggets are a whole lot of fluff to me. They really they I don't I see this as a team that is in as per tradition in Denver, <laughs> a flaky team that is not going to last in the playoffs. And I know like all of Denver is enraged. <laughs> well all like uh-huh. one hundredth of a person that we probably have on average who's listening in Denver is enraged right now. But, guys, they have the weakest thing in the world right now to an elite coach is a weak defensive center. And Popovich is looking at Jokic on defense and is just drooling. He's just salivating. And he's like, oh, man, we are going to do some things here. They're going to – the Nuggets are not going to be able to stop that Spurs offensive attack. And the Spurs have the perfect personnel to match up with that Denver Nugget offense on defense. They're not going to lock them up by any means, but they'll be able to outscore that team. They really will. I don't know about the Rockets. Look, like Mike D'Antoni is a very good coach as well. And they have some special talent on that team. You know I think that Chris Paul will lose them two to four games in a given series uh, from the way he overdribbles the ball and is Chris Paul. But... <laughs> God, I hate Chris Paul. 
but the, the, uh, you can't see it because they doesn't pick up on a microphone, but I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> um, for sure. For sure. Deservingly. But that's, that's my, that's my take there. Like, I think that they, they do not stand a chance against the Warriors barring injury catastrophe, but against the Blazers, against the, um, uh, Nuggets, against the Rockets, I think they have a chance. I think they're favored favorites against several of those teams. Yeah, I don't buy that. I think I think they'll be the like I'll be the he- I think they'll be the heavy underdog. Dude, in all you of those. you said last week or two weeks ago in the ADHD pod, the ADD pod, mm-hmm. that you have embraced my lifestyle and just elected to refuse to think about anything related to the Spurs and Popovich and just assume that it will turn out well. Right, but well doesn't like they've already exceeded well beating Denver or No, no, no. You you you're you're thinking right now. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> you're thinking. Don't don't. Like you you can't. This is Greg Popovich uh, we're talking no, about. So anyhow, okay? going on to the point about why I think this is a disappointing season is that basically it shows just how much of their success has been from Pop. And Pop's about like Pop at, by the end of next season will be the oldest in, uh, oldest coach in NBA history, um, which means that effectively he's not going to be there forever. No, wasn't at that point, wasn't Jerry crack. Sloan eighty one? No, no, we've done this before. Jerry Sloan is only like <laughs> I don't think Jerry Sloan is currently eighty one, um, but he retired before he was uh, he retired before he was seventy one. Um, he's yeah, Jerry Sloan is currently seventy seven. And he looked so and old. And he retired eight years ago, which means That's he retired hard to in 69. Believe for me. No, the, uh, the, the record holder for oldest coach is, uh, was Hubie Brown with, uh, Memphis. <laughs> Hubie. Um, all right. Anyway. Yeah. At least I think it, I think um, it was. So I, I don't remember who it was that retired, but actually, no, no, no. Yeah. Cause Hubie retired 14 years ago and it's, it's currently 85. So yeah, 71. Um, which pop will pass sometime near the end of last season uh, end of next season. Um, and so, yeah, like he's not that far off from retirement and all of the players that kept him around for forever are gone. And honestly, like it wouldn't be surprising to see him go soon ish and the level at which they depend on him for success, because this team had no business being successful without him is a concern. Um, and I think that's why it's such a big deal that both of us are putting pop here is because if they have nothing outside of pop, then it's not a good thing going forward. Um, but to the Raptors, um, I had Siakam. Um, Siakam has established himself as potentially the second best player on this team, um, which is crazy because one, he was a late first draft pick and two, even a couple of years ago, he didn't look anywhere close to that good. And so being potentially better than Lowry, but also a, you know, a great player in, in his own right just the fact that he, I mean, he's probably a top 50 player by any measurement that you want to choose. And that's a huge thing for the Raptors who weren't really sure where they were going to get that other piece from if they needed an extra piece beyond, uh, beyond what they have right now, um, beyond Lowry and Kawhi. And especially as Lowry starting to go down and have to rest for injury and all that. Um, so yeah, like Siakam becoming as good as he is, is a huge deal. It is, um, not my reason though. I said, and I quote, uh, Kawhi not stay. And they really have succeeded in not giving any reasons for Kawhi to not stay in Toronto that are the fault of Toronto. Mm-hmm. He's not he's not staying in Toronto. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's very little chance that he signs a contract with the Raptors this offseason. Because, I mean, they're the Raptors. It's Kawhi Leonard. He just 
alienated one of the greatest coaches in human history to get out of San Antonio. He does not want to get out of San Antonio to Toronto. But, and I, lo- I love Toronto. Toronto's my favorite city that I ever visited, by the way. But the, the, the fact of the matter is they the Raptors have done a better than expected job of presenting a case to Kawhi that, hey, if you stay, we might be able to do something special here. Um, I thought that Lowry was going to really handicap them, and he still is to an extent, but um, Siakam's emergence, um, along with the clarity that they've gotten about some of their bench pieces, like now we know for sure that Norman Powell is ass cheeks. Now we know for sure that um, Fred Van Vliet is not a starting point but guard. But he's good in the right they know that they, they know that they can move on from these guys now. And they have clarity about moving forward, and they have the ability to create space on the roster a little bit. He's still not going to stay, but they did a good job making their case. Where there's like before the season, I thought there was zero percent chance that Kawhi was going to stay. Now there's a lingering thought in the back of my mind: Hey, there's a chance that he stays. I think that's a win for them. That's that's a bigger significant than anything else they could possibly talk about. Because, I mean, that's a franchise that if Kawhi doesn't stay, they're blowing it up. They're blowing at the smithereens. It's over. It's done. It's it's all done and paid for. So that's my take there. Second to last team. Uh, last one I expect will be very, very quick. Uh, I said for the Utah Jazz, their roster makes no fucking sense anymore, and they're still good. Go Jazz. They, they have no structure, no soul, no anything on their roster. Uh, they just have Quinn Snyder's sheer willpower and coke rage just just pushing this team to playoff contention. And they're still good. And Quinn Snyder is not Popovich age. Like, he's got time. He's a really good coach. Although, to be fair, he's cocaine does really, shorten your lifespan a good bit. It does. It does. But he is he's a really good coach. His offense is interesting. It's complex. It's not good. <laughs> but... It on a playoff stage will improve from where it's at now because of how guarded, how hard it is to kind of game plan against it. And that defense is is it's truly special. They've made Joe Ingles look like an elite defensive player. They've made a balding, like late twenties, early thirty year old, like Steve Novak, basically look like an elite perimeter defender. They made Steve Novak or Brian Scalabrini or Brian Cardinal or any of the the human victory cigars that we've seen throughout NBA history. They made that guy look like an elite defender. And I think he is genuinely like a really good defender. Like he got trained into being a good defensive player. And that is just absolutely absurd to me. So that's my take here. Uh, Quinn Snyder is really, really good at what he does. And this roster is a clusterfuck, and they're still good, and they're only going to become less of a clusterfuck as they move forward because a lot of their their mistakes are going to start. I was going to say, well, this is one of those times that it would be good for me to interject with my point here, which is that they arguably have the best coach and GM pair in the league between Quinn Snyder being a top-five coach and Dennis Lindsay being the single-best GM. Um, And so that's kind of what's going to allow the roster to work itself out is that the pieces are a little weird, but they're all very good pieces. Um, and they've got Dennis Lindsay working out those pieces, and he's 
at the best, the best, he's the best CBA GM, if nothing else. Um, like he might not be perfect in terms of player evaluation, but he's so good with the collective bargaining agreement that there's really not another GM that matches him in that regard. Um, and so, yeah, like being able to do that, that gives them more flexibility in terms of how they'll fix the slightly weird roster situation they're in. They have so many tough decisions to make this offseason. They really Agreed, do. but if you wanted to make those decisions, you would ha- you would want Dennis Lindsay to be the one making them. I also think that Oh, absolutely. I also think that their decisions are kind of more kicked down the line because I mean, the decisions they're making this summer you're talking about are guys like Favors non-guarantee, right? Um Favors Rubio, do we move on from Exum? Well, Exum uh Exum they have signed to an extension rover. Um Yes, but do we move on from Exum? Okay, like yeah, that's could, fair. Um, there are teams that would very quickly pay for, trade for Dante yeah, Exum. Pay for, pay for a 23-year-old who's on a fairly cost-controlled contract. Yeah, that makes some level of sense. Um, the biggest thing, like, they can eat. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I, I haven't done the exact math on it, but I think they can create a max slot, which... Honestly? It would take it would take a lot of asset dumping, I think. Well, okay, so... Uh, they they're currently 17 million below the no they can they can't create a full max but like they can't create a 35 percent max right, let's, let's be let's let's be real like they're it, not yeah it's it's, it's utah that's probably able, not happening anyway but they're it's not going to be able to use but that it's an interesting thought at the very someone. least because yeah like basically so their cap space they'll have about what if Kawhi goes to utah would, that would be the single best defense in nba history if it's that would just be so great um, that, and like, it's like no i don't give a fuck about the big well, and also like it kind of fits Kawhi as a person right it's the it's it, these, it, it yeah. definitely does um, it's these Kawhi guys but regardless like, and they can afford Kawhi's max i think because Kawhi is a 30 percent yeah they can afford a 30 percent max so it's conceivable I, i'm all in on that I'm all okay in. he's going he's yeah, going to utah we're, we're, he's going to utah. official podcast stance Kawhi should go to utah yes and is going let yeah. it be said um but yeah, like basically having Lindsay around to make those decisions is a is a good thing, and you know we got them. The biggest thing it got them this year is it got them uh, the extra shooting they needed when they were struggling with shooting, um, in that they dealt basically nothing for Kyle Korver. Um, so yeah, like they're in a good place to go and have the strongest infrastructure of anyone in, in that sense. Yeah. All right. So for the next one, Washington Wizards are up. I want you to say it with me. We're going to read ours at the same time. Okay. Are we doing Are we um, doing first name, last name, or just last name? We're doing first name, last name, and whatever adjectives and verbs you want afterward. Um, I've gotten very specific with mine. You don't have to. <laughs> but because we're going to start the sentence the same way. Uh, three, two. One Ernie Grunfeld, Ernie Grunfeld has been put out to pasture and sent to the farm where all the dead dogs. Yeah, that go. wasn't as specific as I was going, but yeah, basically that's it. We can go <laughs> home now because uh, that's the last team, and it was exactly that easy. <laughs> the Wizards win. Wizards win this game. Every other team loses, <laughs> except for the Jazz because they're getting Kawhi Leonard down. Yes, clearly. Uh, hope. <laughs> Hope you guys enjoyed this shit show of a podcast. Uh, we'll be back to organize things. Um, I don't know whether we're going to get together in the next couple of days to record a playoff preview or not. Um, we both have busy schedules. We're going to try to make that work. Don't know if it's going to happen. Let's be realistic um, here. Otherwise, let's be realistic. My schedule is not busy. 
Okay, I have a busy schedule <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> we'll see if we can make it work. If not, we will be back at the normal time next week. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed. Jeff Weissman, Joseph Nation, signing off. Uh, we'll be back and like organized, and I won't be like semi-drunk next week. So uh, we'll see you then. Have a good week, guys.